Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Hey, Studio DNA fans. I'm Chad, a new podcast host here on the network. I'd like to invite you to check out my new show called Hot Takeout, where I mix together some of my favorite things, fast food and musical artists. When you listen, you'll get that feeling you have when you get an onion ring in the bottom of your french fries. It's a win. We'll dig deep with the artists. We'll find out what inspires them and what foods they have to stay away from. And we're also playing fast food games, which will also make sense when you listen. So check out the Hot Takeout podcast streaming right now here on the Studio DNA podcast network do you like sports because we like sports let's talk about sports it's sports yeah sports yeah it's sports yeah and welcome to episode 211-211 of the Sports Yak. You mean the Bobo Newsome episode? Bobo Newsome. 20 years a major league pitcher for nine different teams in the bigs had three 20 win seasons also led the league in losses four different seasons Yes, he won 211 games. He actually lost more than that in his big league career. He's Bobo Newsom. Family Broadcasting Corporation. Well, the crowd's going wild. In association with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Presents Sports Yak. One host knows sports. And who's right there? The other doesn't know sports, but somehow they meet in the middle. Here's your host, Corey Mann. Get your big butt out of here! And Indiana Sports Broadcast Hall of Famer, This one will be relived. Chuck Freebie. Forever! We don't want to rob you of an episode of Sports Yak, the 211, the 211. That's in the Urban Dictionary, 211. Stands for robbery. Oh, okay. I Googled it. I thought it meant something. I've never heard it myself. Of course not. Ever. Welcome to Sports Yak. His name's Chuck. My name is Corey, and we have sports to talk about. Well, certainly what has been at the top of pop culture and sports over the last month or so has been the last dance. It finally finished up on Sunday. Of course, as we've discussed on this show a few times, because of the hour that it finishes up, neither Corey nor I can really talk about it on Monday. So we gave ourselves Monday to watch. And now we're here on a Tuesday to talk about it. You've seen all 10 episodes. What are some of your major takeaways of The Last Dance? 
I like that the curtain was pulled back in a sense to see, you know, uh, behind the scenes if you're paying attention to practices and, you know, getting inside the huddle with Phil Jackson and the temperament of Michael Jordan, the drive, the competitiveness, not only on the floor, but in a card game or in flipping coins or, Mm -hmm. and then throughout the years, you'd always hear little bits and pieces and little stories and whatnot. And even in the final episode, I loved the story of Gus, the security guard. Yeah. Because I, I remember hearing he was very close to those those guys, these yeah. the ones he trusted. He saw them night after night. And I I think maybe I'd read it somewhere. I heard it in a broadcast. But just kind of seeing that unpacked a little bit, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course, this was the history of the Bulls as told by Michael Jordan through Michael Jordan's eyes. Uh, I found it interesting that uh, before this even started, Jordan did interviews where he said, you know, he hopes he's not portrayed in a negative way by this documentary. Well, it's his company that helped put it together. How in the heck would he be portrayed in a negative way? I think for some people in those middle episodes where you're really hearing about how tenacious a competitor he was and and what he was like in practice, Mm -hmm. those who have not been around athletics would say, oh, well, he's being so mean to people. And it's like, no, he's he's trying to drive people to levels that they have not been to. And to a certain extent, he did that. You're saying something new to me. I didn't know his company was behind that. Yeah. Yeah. So this is this is a combination of production companies okay. working on this. But one of them is his. Okay. And so and he did three inter- he did three different interviews that were taken in for this production. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm also told that the last episode, episode 10, wasn't completed until last Wednesday or Thursday. So, and I honestly thought that episode 10, um, and episode 10 really tells the story of the NBA Finals of 1998. Mm-hmm. And I thought compared to the other episodes, it was kind of a letdown. I was kind of hoping for a where are they now, which you, yeah, you didn't get that. You got yeah. you got a little bit of how the breakup was, but you you're going to have to go on Google and see where everybody is now. Of course, I think most basketball fans know Steve Kerr is coaching the Golden State Warriors. Mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman is of course solving world problems. Um, Where's Luke Longley? <laughs> Luke Longley not even interviewed. Once for this. Never a talking head in 10 episodes. Yeah. Judd Bushler, a, a few moments. Judd Bushler, a few moments, gave us a good meme when, uh, yeah. when he was telling about how Scotty was on the plane, said, we may not lose for three months, and then kind of makes a face that you could keep as a meme. Um, Never a real glimpse at who Phil Jackson surrounded himself with on the bench. Sports fans would know. Right, but... I, you know. But there was no real talk about the – well, there was talk about Tex Winters. The triangle offense. The triangle offense and Tex Winters. You got that at some point. Uh, but, yeah, no real I, – I think it showed, too, to a certain extent in that way. Um, 
how maybe overrated the NBA coaching is. Okay. Because, let's face it, Phil Jackson won 11 titles. And I, I don't wish to take anything away from Phil Jackson's ability as a coach. But he won 11 titles, and on one team he had Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. And on the other team that he won titles with, he had Shaq and Kobe. Well, <laughs> gee, kids, I mean, if you had that kind of talent, you'd be winning too. Mm-hmm. Now, to Phil's credit, and this is one of the things that people always say about him, he had a way to get people to buy into their roles on the team. Mm-hmm. And, and that was the biggest thing that Phil did was manage egos. Because he had to go in and get Kobe and Shaq to share the ball and get along. He had to get had to work with Michael and kind of massage him a little to get him to bring along the Steve Kerrs and the Ron Harpers of the world and, and get along with them. Um, Would you say go going and getting Dennis? But see, Phil didn't do that. Oh, okay. Jerry Krause did that. Okay, and and that's. That's another one of the things. I found it interesting that at the end of episode 10, Scotty Pippen, Scotty Pippen kind of comes along as the voice of reason through this whole thing. Yeah. And and basically, despite all the wars that he had, he's talking about we had the greatest coach ever in Phil Jackson, we had the greatest player ever in Michael Jordan, and the greatest general manager ever in Jerry Krause because Jerry Krause did assemble this team twice. Now, you may go off and say, yeah, but he's the reason they tore it apart. I think Jerry Krause is a convenient scapegoat for Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah. Jerry Reinsdorf just didn't want to pay people anymore. He did not want to pay people what they were going to demand in 1999 salary. Let me give you some names that we saw and heard from in the last dance and your opinion about them post last dance. Oh, okay. Isaiah Thomas. Have never been a big Isaiah Thomas fan. Um, I know from people who were connected to him when he worked for the New York Knicks and he was basically, uh, found guilty in a civil suit, um, with the New York Knicks of sexual harassment I just think he's a vile person, and I I don't have a whole lot of respect for Isaiah Thomas. Now, do I think that Isaiah Thomas should have been part of the dream team? Not necessarily, because you have to take into account chemistry mm-hmm. on a team. And obviously, if that many people didn't want to play with Isaiah, then you can't have him on the team. But from a talent standpoint, you can't argue with the fact that he was tremendous basketball talent. I just don't like him as a person. Steve Kerr. Well, I, I thought Steve Kerr's story was flushed out beautifully in Episode 9. And to understand what he's gone through in his life really kind of helps paint a picture of of why he is the way he is right now. Agreed. And um, and who he is and what he's all about. And I think that he has done a wonderful job of absorbing the things that he needs to absorb from other people to become an effective head coach. Carl Malone. I had a lot of respect for the way Carl Malone was portrayed in this. Uh, the fact that he actually 
went out to the bus yes. to shake hands, went all the way to the back of the bus to shake hands with Michael after uh, being beaten for the second time in a row in Utah. I That impressed me a lot. Now, I don't know that much about Carl Malone and what he's doing now. He's kind of stayed out of the limelight so much, but uh, I, I think that Utah organization as a whole represented itself pretty well in the movie. Mm-hmm. Reggie Miller. Well, Reggie Miller, I, I think, is has done a good job of making himself a, a commentator. Uh, I think you have to understand when you're listening to Reggie that he has a sense of humor and a sense of self. You know, when he says he pushed off lightly against Mike, he knows full well he didn't push off lightly against Michael, but he also knows that he he, he had basically said, I'm going to make the official blow the whistle. Well, and he knows how stuff was in the NBA, and officials didn't blow whistles at the end of games unless absolutely necessary. Mm -hmm. So it's basically like, I know I can get away with a push-off in this situation, and it's not going to get called. So he did it. It, Let's face it, we all do that with the rules. If you know that a rule is not going to be enforced, why would you follow it? So I, I don't have any disrespect for Reggie Miller from that standpoint. I know my wife can't stand him because he went to UCLA. <laughs> of course. And... And because he played with the Pacers at the time that it was very contentious with Michael. But even even as Michael's retelling those stories, you don't get a sense that he's got a great deal of animosity yeah. towards Reggie Miller. In the grand scheme of things, all 10 episodes together on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being horrific, 10 being well done, what do you give the entire Last Dance? I mean, it's really tempting to give it a 10. I will give it a nine because, again, this is all told. I mean, you hear a lot from the Jordan confidants. You hear a lot from the Jordan camp. Mm -hmm. You don't really hear, I mean, you got to hear a little bit of Isaiah. But you don't really hear from those people who may have had an axe to grind with Michael Jordan and didn't. Now. Again, what was the purpose of the documentary? Right. The purpose of the documentary was to tell the story of the 1998 Chicago Bulls. So from that standpoint, thought it fleshed it out very well. I would have just loved, I would have liked to have heard a little bit more criticism, even constructive criticism. Not, what are you going to say against him? I mean, he was a tremendous player, the best player in the NBA at the time. But that that's the only real flaw that I saw in it. I thought they did. Now, you and I look at these things from a production standpoint, too. Yes. Um, I thought they did a great job with the music that they used. Great I selection. Thought, I thought that they set mood very well with it. To tell a story like that for 10 episodes, so, you know, basically 600 minutes, Um. Without a narrator, that's not an easy thing to do either. Yeah. And uh, I I thought they did a great job. Obviously, they did their homework. They worked on this for years. Um, I thought the interviews that they did with people were good. I liked the little side stories, the Gus Lett, the Steve Kerr in Episode 9. Um, 
were great side stories. Personally, I would have liked to have seen a little bit more about, and and obviously they touched on this in episodes where you've got this personality in Dennis Rodman who Phil really did a great job of managing him and kind of understanding that I'm, I'm going to get from him what I get on the basketball floor and kind of learning that, okay, yeah, Dennis is going to do some crazy stuff, but I can count on him on the basketball floor to be ready to go when he has to be. Yeah. Wasn't that even the line? You're the best defensive player in the NBA. He's going to get on an airplane and he's going to go wrestle. And But he's going to be back here for game four and <laughs> he'll be ready to go. Do an incredible and, job rebounding and yeah. hit two key free throws and all that stuff. Uh, final question from me. Fill in the blank. You enjoyed the last dance. Man, I wish they would now do a documentary about fill in the blank. Well, this is of personal interest yes, to me. Yes, yes. I would like to see a documentary. It, if you had the behind-the-scenes footage, which obviously the footage from 1998 that they had made this possible. So you would have to have the behind-the-scenes footage, the 2016 Cubs. Mm. That, to me, would be, mm -hmm. but again, from a national perspective, well, you just had a Chicago documentary. Are you going to do another Chicago documentary right now? Of course not. I turned off the NBA after 1998. I just I just didn't care anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm slightly interested in the championships with the Lakers because my son is a, a fan of that team, Kobe, Shaq. I just – I from so from a distance, I was like, eh. If you were going to do a story on an individual over that period, it'd be Tiger Woods. Okay. Tiger Woods would be the most compelling story to tell because it's the the prodigy, the rise, the change in golf, the fall, and the rise again. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, what a got, it's got everything from a Greek tragedy mm -hmm. right there, the Tiger Woods story. Um, Mike Tyson would be a fascinating tale to tell. I don't know if Mike Tyson is 10 episodes, but his would be a fascinating, again, the rise from nothing, the fall from grace, the rebuild. To you, where, bring, you bring up a great point right there, and I think it's happening more and more as we are, quote-unquote, binging during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. You see a season of shows, and you're like, they could have done that in five they had nine. They could have easily done that in four or five. You think Last Dance could have been done in five? That's what I'm. That was my lead-in. Could they have done that shorter? I think it Do was. You think the, ten was healthy? I think it was the right amount. Yeah. Okay. I in in this case, I do. Uh, what are? Let me ask you this: uh, as a as a viewer, what are your, let's say, five big takeaways from the Last Dance? I probably should have thrown that question at you before we started recording. That's okay. Five big takeaways from the last dance. Or maybe you and I will bounce back and forth and come up with five. Uh, convincing Michael to lean in on the triangle. You're going to have to pass the ball to your other teammates. It can't all be about you. That was a huge... 
and watching it work. I loved that graphic of watching it work. Mm -hmm. And then that one scene when Michael went to baseball and they showed them passing the ball on the team without him, that scene right there was pretty powerful to me. We can do this without him. We're going to have to work, but we can do it without him. One of my biggest takeaways, Michael Jordan's list of people or things or situations that have wronged him is longer than a CVS receipt. <laughs> Holding and, a grudge and, and using his, the grudge. His ability to manufacture yeah. being wrong. The LeBradford Smith story uh, is one of the things that will stick with me. From the, Nothing really happened other than this guy had a good game. He didn't do anything wrong to Michael other than having a good game for the other team. That was enough to motivate Michael to say, I've been wronged, I will now yeah. go and wreak my vengeance the next night. George Carl in a restaurant. George Carl didn't Carl say alone. hello. But if George Carl had said hello, he had the audacity to interrupt my dinner. <laughs> I will now destroy him. Carl Malone getting MVP. Carl Malone won the MVP. He had the audacity to be honored with something. I'll show him. Yes. I'll show him. And, of course, if Jerry Krause liked it, Michael Jordan didn't. Mm-hmm. Scotty sitting out the play, give give the ball to somebody else, and Scotty going, I'm not going in. That That surprised me. But then kind of the redemption story of game six from 1998 when Scotty has the back injury yeah that chip Schaefer the trainer says I've seen plenty of guys that would have stayed out with that and he would keep going back to the locker room just so he could come back in and you wounded duck you could see how how in pain mm. he was throughout that game and still managing to contribute in a positive manner I bet you they could do an hour-long show on the shoes, and I'd watch it. Oh, well, you would. Yeah, I'm not. I actually saw the pizza game shoes yesterday at the orthodontist office. Mm. I nudged my son, and I said, look at her. Now, you refer to it as the pizza game. I do now. And and this, this again, is, okay, so we heard from his trainer, his buddy, and Jordan all about Oh, it's a pizza story. Changing the narrative. There is so there are so many holes in that story. <laughs> Come on. First of all, if you're his trainer or his buddy, why would you allow the pizza be to be delivered to the room? Why wouldn't you just go down to the lobby of the hotel and wait for the pizza? Five guys show up and you still allow him. You know, you say, oh, I have problems with this pizza. They're, why would you even allow them to eat it? Why wouldn't you just throw it out right then? Uh, do you really believe the pizza story? Maybe he is uh, so surrounded by yes men, they're too afraid to tell him not to eat it. Do you really believe the pizza story? Do you think it was a pizza? Uh, you know, how long ago was that? 22 years. 22 years, and this is the first time we've heard it? No, I don't believe it. Okay. Yeah. That's... That's basically the it. crux of what I'm trying to get yeah. to. I remember watching it and going, wow, he's good when he's sick. Oh, there's no question. Was he ill? Yes, he was ill. Yeah. Why was he ill? I don't know. Yeah. Was he hungover? Right. Was he, you know, fill in the blank? Uh, other big takeaways. 
Was there access to whatever you want? <laughs> what, what, well, and I think that could have been fleshed out a little bit more. The and, and Steve Kerr alludes to it, and we see sometimes where he just isn't allowed to live the life mm-hmm. that everybody else is. So, oh, here's another thing. Was was he married? Yeah. You saw the kids last night or in those last episode, the last episode, right? In yeah. The very last episode you A hear hint. from the kids, you never hear from Juanita. Mm-mm. No. I, and no, I realize that's not the focus of the, but that's another way you can tell that his thumbprint was all over this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also seemed to be the type of person that uh, was good at fending off distractions. Like, uh, he's so focused on the game. Why right. would you have agreed to Space Jam? I mean, that had to be one amazing paycheck in the grand scheme of things for him to allow that kind of work schedule while he's trying to get back. Well, maybe an episode should have been done on David Falk, his agent. Oh, yeah. Because David Falk made a lot of money for Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. A lot. And himself, apparently. Well, of course. (laughs) And, And here's the other thing, you know. You can begrudge all that, but in making all that money for Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan being as good as he was at his craft of playing basketball made a lot of money for Scottie Pippen, for Steve Kerr, for all these other people. Bill Wennington still does color on Bulls games. He's been riding the fact that he was a bench player on the 1998 Bulls for 22 years now. One wonders what the lifestyle of those kids are. Not that we would see an episode about that, but what are they doing now? And what can they maneuver life under that shadow? Yeah. Well, that, or are they okay with that? That that's a question that is a very valid one. Yeah. So, will you watch it again? Will I go back and watch it again? Probably because there are little nuggets in there. Um, you know, when you talk about the mental toughness of Jordan, mm-hmm. you, you talked about his ability to focus and to compartmentalize. Um, what was the line? Like a lion in the desert under a tree watching his prey. Yeah. You know, his trainer was saying that, and I was like, that's exactly what that's like. Well, the the episode you mentioned, Space Jam. So he brings all these guys in to play with him, but it also gives him the opportunity to scout all of them as he is coming back yeah. in 96 so that he has an idea of what to do against them. The little things of he plays off the back of his heel. He plays off the front of his shoe. Right. He, you know. It, things, that, things that <laughs> even I, who've been watching basketball for all my life, and I'm sure there are great coaches out there in our area who might be able to pick up on those things. But it's the kind of thing where it comes from, I mean, this is your sole focus in life is playing basketball. Yeah. So you will watch it again. At some point, yeah. How many coaches in America will show that to their team preseason this year? No, I. well, I think they'll mine little nuggets out of it. Yeah. Um, you, you, can, you can take all kinds of different motivations out of it. You can't ask people to be Michael Jordan because right. 
they're not going to be able to. I mean, he was physically gifted, and as an intensive a competitor, I mean, there, there's only there's only one Michael, there's only one LeBron, but you can take things from what they do. And here's the thing: as good as Michael was, Michael was responsive to coaching. Mm-hmm. Now, gets to the final six minutes of the game against. Uh, either Indiana or Utah, I can't remember which right now, and says, no, I am not switching on screens. I'm going through them. But at least it was a discussion. Yeah. You know, and it was a respectful discussion. Um, So he he is responsive to people. And he even gave credit to some of the Bulls coaches that get no credit at all, guys like Kevin Lockery and Stan Albeck, who helped him with his game as he was developing early on. Yeah, there's a lot of nuggets in there. So those are the kinds of things we'll see. Speaking of coaching, yes. let's transition to some of the sports news of the day. You truly and, are the king of segues. Well, you know, that's what we try to do The here. ones you ride, not necessarily the ones verbally. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, the big coaching news in this area right now is the fact that there's going to be a shift on the Notre Dame women's staff. Obviously, we know that Neil Ivey has come in and taken over for Muffet McGraw. Now there's going to be a change in her assistance as Beth Cunningham is leaving the program. There is some debate as to whether she was asked to leave or is leaving on her own. The official university statement yesterday said uh, she is leaving to pursue other coaching opportunities. While that would make it sound as though it was a mutual parting of the ways. I'm not sure it was. I think in the case of Beth Cunningham, she was basically kind of the odd person out on Neil Ivey's staff. Neil Ivey, as the head coach, is going to want an assistant who's a great recruiter. I don't know that that's Beth's greatest strength. Carol Owens is one of Neil Ivey's best friends, so she's not going anywhere. Um, So do you reach back into the archives and pull out a great player to become... The recruiter of the program? Well, that's who it's, it's going to be, Coquise Washington, who was a player at Notre Dame, an assistant at Notre Dame, went and became a head coach at Penn State, and is very close with both Carol Owens and Neil Ivey. Okay. So, and Coquise has the reputation of being a very good recruiter. Okay. So, I think that's who's going to take over for Beth in this situation, and I think that's the strength that Niel is looking for on her staff. Okay. So you've got that going on. Meanwhile, on the local high school scene, a couple of coaching moves have been made since we last joined you. Westview hired a fellow by the name of Ed Bentley to be its new basketball coach, boys basketball coach, taking over for Rob Yoder, whose son Charlie graduated this year as the all-time leading scorer at Westview. Rob had served as the basketball coach there for 18 years. Ed Bentley, very familiar to the Northeast Corner Conference. He coached at Angola for eight years, had a falling out with the athletic department this year. It's still kind of nobody really knows the why behind that situation, but you see turnover at a school in a number of different sports, and you tend to think maybe that's more from – the athletic director, than it is from these coaches. So Angola did have a lot of turnover this year, and Ed Bentley midseason had this falling out. 
but everybody seems to respect Ed Bentley as a gentleman and a coach, man that served in both the Army and the Marines. Um, eight successful seasons at Angola, won three sectionals there, I believe. Record was 120 and 67. So he comes on, takes over a Westview program, which you would assume would be in rebuilding mode next year, losing its top player in Charlie Yoder. Um, but this is a program that, well, perennially has been one of the better ones in northern Indiana, certainly has been a dominant force in its conference. And so we'll see how he manages that transition over at Westview. Meanwhile, on the girls' side, the uh, filling of the vacancy at Mishawaka, Sarah Deshone left to take the job at LaPorte. They stay internal to the corporation and hire Chad Blasco. Chad Blasco, very interesting figure. He is a 1999 Mishawaka grad, was a number one draft pick of the Chicago Cubs. So he was a baseball pitcher at Purdue. Um, Number one draft pick of the Cubs, wound up with some injuries, didn't work out in baseball, came back to Mishawaka, has been a teacher in the system for a while now, was a boys basketball assistant for a couple of different head coaches for about eight years, and then last year, Uh, became an eighth-grade girls basketball coach at John Young. So he only has one year of girls basketball experience, but plenty of basketball experience, and now becomes the head coach at Mishawaka. Hmm. Interesting. Do you know him personally? Yeah, I I know Chad, and uh, Chad's a very good man, very good family man. Uh, I think he'll do a good job there. The there's a lot of groundwork that has to be built with the Mishawaka program. Sarah Deshaun was only there two years. She had started doing that groundwork, trying to build, to have a successful, especially a successful girls basketball program, it has to be built in the lower grades. You have to start teaching girls fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, so that by the time they get to high school, they've got the fundamentals down and you can work with them. Mm-hmm. The problem so many of these programs have is that maybe girls don't start playing basketball until 7th or 8th grade, and that's not enough training for them by the time they get to the high school level. And that's why you see certain programs perennially do well in girls' basketball and certain ones don't. It's not that much different in boys' basketball either. But I think in girls' basketball, having coached both girls and boys at the youth level, I can tell you, girls will do exactly what you tell them to do. Yeah. Almost to a fault. Whereas boys, especially by the time they hit about 7th or 8th grade, and you know this through through your life, um, they think they know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they think. They think they're fully developed and they can take the ball and run with it. They think they're LeBron. Mm-hmm. You know, I may be in seventh grade, but I'm I'm LeBron. No, no, you're not. <laughs> uh, let's see. Other sports news. We can talk about when, if and when pro sports are returning. To me, uh, the biggest question mark on this one is baseball. Mm. Because... Uh, we reported on our Monday sportscast on Pulse FM. Major League Baseball over the weekend put out this 67-page manifesto of the different safety procedures and protocols that would need to happen in order for the game to be played. No spitting, no high fives, 
Uh, ball's going to be thrown out after it's been touched by more than the pitcher and the catcher. Uh, just all kinds of things that really kind of take away from things that seem to be second nature in baseball. Uh, guys have to sit six feet apart in, in the dugout and all these different crazy things from the coronavirus pandemic. And then on the other side of that, there's been the proposal, well, let's play baseball in stadiums without fans like they're doing over in Korea. And from a TV standpoint, of course, the fan in me says, yeah, I, I'd love to watch the Cubs on TV right now, whether they were playing the stadium without fans or not. But the owners say, time out, wait a minute. Under the current salary structure, if we do that, we're losing $640,000 a game. That's a problem. So trying to find that happy medium between the players and the owners, which has been a problem since, I don't know, the 1970s, uh, is going to be tough for baseball to overcome to get on the field by July 4th. Okay, I know you're going to give me an eye roll about this, but I'll just say it out loud. Go ahead. I feel like there's going to be a moment in time in the next June, July, August. There's going to be a moment in time where all of a sudden there's going to be a flick of the switch. And for a lack of better phrasing, it's all going back to normal. Well, I hope you're right. I feel like there's going to be this weird shift of all of a sudden, hey, we can do baseball. Hey, we can do football. Everybody get in the, you know, the stadium. I just feel like. That's going to happen. Well, obviously, if they, sooner than later, if they find a vaccine and get one approved, and and that's one reason why the stock market went up by a thousand points yesterday, is there was a lot of talk about the Health and Human Services Secretary came out and said we we think we may have a vaccine for this, and if they can fast track a vaccine and get it out to the people, and as George Jetson once said, Jane, stop this crazy thing, stop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, that that could happen. I think one thing that we're learning more and more is that there's going to be football. There will be college football and pro football this year. Yeah, It may look a little bit different, but when Notre Dame comes out yesterday and says, okay, uh, here's what we're going to do is we're and, and they followed a, a model that I think Mitch Daniels set out at Purdue, which is we're going to start the semester a little early. We're going to eliminate fall break. We're going to eliminate all breaks. You're just going to go education-wise. You're going to be here August 10th to Thanksgiving, and then we're going to get you out of here by Thanksgiving and send you home for a month and a half. They will not have the second semester of summer school in person except for a limited number of students whose work is needed to prepare for the fall. I believe that limited number of students would be limited to those who need to lift and run to get ready for the fall. I think that is a veiled reference to the Notre Dame athletic teams. And I, obviously, I can't prove that, but prove me wrong. Prove me wrong that they're not going to allow the football team to come back here in early July, and start getting ready for the season. Four weeks of strength and conditioning. Football practice starts as normal. I still don't think the game with Navy is played in Ireland because Ireland still has this quarantine where people have to stay for 14 days. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that's happening. 
I think that game will be played in D.C. or the D.C. suburbs somewhere. <clears throat> but I think I think college football starts in a very close to normal standpoint. And I think the NFL starts exactly when the schedule says. Okay. We'll see how it plays out in the next few months. I could be wrong. I've been an optimist through this all, and I have no reason to change my mind right now. Mm-hmm. We continue to also see college sports make some cuts, though, at the Olympic sports level. Yesterday, Furman University down Greenville, South Carolina, where my oldest son lives now, uh, dropped its baseball and men's lacrosse programs. They've played baseball at Furman for 125 years. There's a guy by the name of Ron Smith who was a star athlete at Elkhart Memorial who became the baseball coach at Furman, uh, was a terrific two-sport player at Furman. And I know he's just devastated today because he put everything into that program, was the head coach down there for, I, I want to say, over 20 years, and just recently resigned. Uh, he's got a wife that's battling Alzheimer's disease. So he's he resigned maybe three, four years ago and had turned the program over. And it, honestly, it probably really wouldn't matter if Ron Smith were still there or not. Uh, they look at expenses, and they look at – and it doesn't matter that Furman's baseball program has had a lot of success over the years and went to five NCAA tournaments. All that goes out the window because they look at the bottom line. So now Furman joins Bowling Green as two Division I schools that have dropped their baseball programs within the last week. And I think it's just starting. I think a lot of these colleges, because of the expenses that they have incurred during the pandemic wow. and the lack of revenues that are coming in, you you don't see when you're at Notre Dame and you're around this money-making machine that their athletic department has been over the years, you don't see what it's like at the smaller Division I level. And the smaller Division I level, it is hand-to-mouth existence for some of these athletic teams. And we're seeing that now. Fascinating. So, so what do you do as a high school baseball player with the hopes and dreams of making it to the big leagues? Do you make it you know, and you don't have the college to go to to do that. Is it a jumping right into a smaller minor league team? Or? Well, here's the – but now you bring up another thing. There's not going to be minor league baseball this year. Oh, boy. I mean, we haven't, we haven't heard the official word on that yet. Yeah. But what makes anybody think that there's going to be minor league baseball this year? Because they can't start minor league baseball until – after Major League Baseball makes its decisions. Mm. The Angels are going to start furloughing their minor league employees beginning June 1st. And so if you don't have minor league baseball this year, uh, now it brings into question, well, what's minor league baseball going to look like next year? And so it becomes tougher and tougher. There become fewer and fewer opportunities Mm -hmm whether it's through colleges or through minors, uh, and it becomes far more competitive. And overall, I, I don't think it helps baseball because a lot of kids grew, are giving up baseball now anyway 
to go play other sports. Baseball is not nearly as dominant on the landscape as it was 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you're going to just see less dominance of it. That's unfortunate. So all these things happening, we don't have any definite answers on many, many things, <laughs> as is life right now. Um, but that's kind of a look at the sports landscape here on this Tuesday, May 19th at about 10 a.m. It could have changed by the time you start listening. <laughs> Chuck, you're on Twitter, aren't you? I am at 46 Sports. Thanks for listening, fans. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. I know we're kind of hodgepodge. Uh, back when things were normal, we were three times a week. Now we just kind of wait for big stuff to happen and jump on. But that's why it's important to subscribe because then when we do do a podcast, and I said do-do, when we have a podcast, you'll know. And so with all that set for Corey, it's Chuck <laughs> saying Ooga Bobo Newsom. We've had some fun. Yeah, the show is done. Now we gotta run. It's Sport Check. Sport Check. Sport Check is not filmed in front of a live studio audience. We done. You've been listening to Sports Yak with Chuck Freebie and Corey Mann as himself. Produced by Corey Mann. The Sports Yak theme song by Rhett Walker. Production elements and voiceovers by AudibleGenesis.com. Engineered by Phil Souza. Executive producer is Danae Hughes. In partnership with the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Interested in your own podcast? Contact Danae at Danae at StudioDNA.media. Sports Yak archives available on iTunes, Spotify, and Spreaker.com. Everybody get out of here! There's a lobster loose! Oh, holy cow, he's loose! Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park